Well, I want to thank the Vaughns and all of our families who have been offering testimonies. You'll have another one next week that are all very compelling and help remind us of the gift of how God is active and alive in our world and how God is working on our hearts and in our lives to help us better understand a richer relationship with God. That really is our goal, right, in all that we do. We desire this rich relationship with God. We desire that we would please our Lord, that we would uh, spend time with God, that we would encourage a relationship with God. That's really our goal in all that we do. And generosity is really simply one method of understanding that relationship. And it reminds me that sometimes we we get our priorities out of whack every once in a while. Have you ever noticed that? All of us do. I know I do. And, and sometimes when we get our priorities out of whack, it just it causes all of life to get it, go astray and to, to cause concern for us as we progress in our days and in our lives. It reminds me of the, the story of the American tourist who went to Mexico. And, you know, when you go down to the coast of Mexico, it's absolutely beautiful, right? If you've been there, you know. And this particular tourist was down there in a small coastal village town, and he went over to the, uh, to the port, where the, where the, uh, to the dock where the boats were, and he noticed a, a really small boat, and uh, it was well-kept, but uh, he just went up to it, and he looked in, and he saw some beautiful yellowfin tuna, massive yellowfin tuna. And I don't know about you, but I'm a huge fan of sushi yellowfin tuna. Anybody in the room with me on that? Yellowfin tuna. It is good stuff, right? So when he saw the fresh tuna, he got all excited and he happened to notice the, the man standing near the boat. He made the assumption that was the fisherman. So he just said, hey, I love your fish. It looks amazing. Um, how long does it take you to get such a, such a catch? And he just said, the fisherman did, not very long at all. I, I go out for an hour or two, and I catch what I need, and, and that's what I do. And, and the tourist just said, well, golly, it's amazing. Why, why, why don't you spend more time out there? And, and, and the fisherman simply said, well, I catch what I need. I catch what I want for my family, and, and that's all I do. And the tourist was just flabbergasted by this, and he, he wondered aloud to the fisherman, well, what in the world do you do with the rest of your time? And the fisherman thought for a minute, and then he said, well, senor, I, I sleep in a little bit. I go fishing a little bit. I play with my kids. I uh, have a siesta with my wife in the middle of the afternoon. Then in the evening, I stroll into town, and I might sip a little wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a very rich and full life, senor. Well, the tourist was indignant. He was like, how could you do this? And he said to him aloud, I have a Harvard MBA and I can help you out. Here's what you need to do. You need to spend more time fishing. And when you spend more time fishing, you'll bring in more money. And when you bring in more money, you can buy a bigger boat. And when you buy a bigger boat, you can catch more fish and keep more money for yourself. And then you could buy a big fleet. And when you buy a big fleet, you'll be able to catch even more fish. And here's another suggestion. What you should really do is stop selling your fish to the middleman, but sell it directly to the processor, because then you'll be able to start a business that has a cannery as well. And when you start the cannery, then you'll control the product and the processing and the distribution. And the, 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 the fisherman was just beside himself. He said, Senor, how, how long will all of this take? And the man said, well, I imagine about 15, maybe 20 years. And, and the, the, the fisherman said, well, by golly, what do I do then? And the, the tourist was very, uh, enjoyed himself so much, he just laughed out loud. He said, well, that's the, that's the best part. You see, when the time is right, you'll offer an IPA and you'll sell stock. And when you sell stock, you'll make millions upon millions of dollars. You'll be wealthy. Millions, senor. 
See, he said. And he said, what then should I do, Senor, when I have all these millions of dollars? And the tourist said, well, I reckon you'll retire, and you'll go to a small coastal village town where you'll sleep late and catch a little fish, maybe play with your kids and have a siesta with your wife and maybe go into town and sip a little wine and play guitar with your amigos. Isn't it funny how we sometimes get our priorities out of whack, how sometimes we spend so much time trying to earn and develop and create wealth that we don't realize what it's like when we spend that wealth or how we spend our time. It's why we began to wonder in this church, what if, what if we, we developed a rich relationship with God rather than a rich relationship with possessions and wealth and money? There's nothing wrong with wealth or possessions or money. We all need money. We, we need a home. We need a roof over our heads. We need clothes. We need food. Wealth is a needful thing. It's just sometimes I wonder, what if, what if our goal and our desire were not so much to earn and keep this wealth, but rather to use that wealth for God's greater glory, to develop a rich relationship with God? Last week, we talked a little bit about this when we talked about gratitude, and we asked the question, what if… We recognize that gratitude was the foundation of generosity because gratitude creates contentment, and contentment leads to generosity because I love what I have. I love what God has provided, and I love what I can do with what it is that God has provided. What if? And I wonder if we could ask a different question today. What if a rich relationship with God might actually impact how we spend our wealth, how, how we relate to the wealth that God has provided. What if a rich relationship with God were so developed and so enriching that it might help us to better understand how it is we use God's resources? Because I know if you're like me, you wonder, how could I be more generous? How could this possibly work? And I realize as a pastor that one of the most common responses I get with regard to generosity is, Pastor, if I only had more money, I would be more generous. And I think there's truth to that, right? Uh, uh, there, there are many of us who have financial constraints. There are many of us who genuinely wonder how we're going to make the next day or the next month or how we're going to get by in the months that come. I know that that's a genuine concern. Inflation is not helping. The circumstances around the globe are not helping. I get all that but also need for us to know that we don't have to be wealthy to be generous. In fact, some of the most generous people I've met in my life were people solely on Social Security or even a few who had no roof over their heads. Generosity has nothing to do with wealth. Generosity has everything to do with the way in which I understand what has been entrusted to me. What if a rich relationship with God were much more than just dollars and cents and the ways in which I spent them, but rather an understanding that all that I have comes from God and all that I have is deserved by God, and the ways in which I share that makes all the difference in the world. I want to share a story from Luke's gospel. It's a powerful story from the 12th chapter where Jesus is speaking into generosity, but in particular, the ways in which we spend and how it has impact on how we give. Because there is, I know you realize, a direct correlation between what we spend 
and how much we feel as though we're able to give. So in the 12th chapter, Jesus has been confronted by two gentlemen who want to have an arbitration with regard to their family inheritance. You know, one of those small kinds of conversations, right? Have you ever had to deal with inheritance in the family? It's not usually overly um, convenient, is it? In response, he says something. uh, First of all, he just says, golly, who made me judge over you? And then Jesus goes on to share these words, beginning in verse 15. Then Jesus said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. I want you to keep that in your hat for just a minute. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, be merry. God said to him, and this is my favorite line in the Scriptures, God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, I love this story on a number of levels, but not the least of which is this challenge that it issues because it is a challenge, right? It's a challenge to understand how am I supposed to spend the wealth that I've received? What am I supposed to do with it? And what is it I'm supposed to do as a a manager or a steward of the resources that God has entrusted to me? Those are all challenges that we all face. And a part of what we hear from Jesus before he even tells the story is life is not measured by what we own. And man, I need to hear that because there have been many a day that I've thought, man, I I need that, and I'd sure like that, and I'd sure like to have some of that, and I want this, and I want that, and, and I find myself never really intending to, but just accumulating stuff. Uh, Some of you have heard this story before, but every year, whenever any church we've ever served has a garage sale, what do we have? Plenty of junk to give. Plenty. Because we just accumulate. We just have stuff. And sometimes I wonder to myself, if I got more of a relationship with my stuff than I have with God. And a part of what Jesus is pointing out is that we need to have a relationship with God and not let the stuff get in the way because ultimately that's what happened to the rich farmer. He let the stuff get in his way. Notice the story does not say there's anything wrong with having a bumper crop. There's nothing wrong with accumulating wealth. Jesus never says that there's any problem with accumulating wealth. Never once does he say that. But what he does remind us of is how we utilize the wealth, how it is we do things with that wealth. And that's a part of the concern in the story, of course, isn't it? Because the man realizes he's got a bumper crop. Man, I, know, I don't know what to do, but what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to build a bigger barn. I'm going to build a bigger storehouse so I can keep all my stuff. And that's all he seemingly seems to be concerned about, right? Is that, uh, that nobody uh, is bothered but him, that, that he could get more out of what it is that he has. If you count the number of eyes there, uh, Doug mentioned the, the great tr- trilogy or trinity in the 830 service, me, myself, and I, right? I, me, and mine. All of it seems to be consumed by him, right? Never once does he consider, golly, I, 
I might could, I don't know, share some, or I might could help my neighbor down the street, or I might could make an offering to the temple, or might uh, help generate some kind of nice nonprofit that would help other people. Never once does that cross his mind. The only thing that crosses his mind is, what am I going to do with my stuff that I grew, that I want, that I want to keep, right? It's all about selfishness. And that's where spending comes in because many times I, and I can only assume we, determine that we need this or that when really we don't need it, we just want it. And before we realize it, we're consumed by the stuff because that's what happened to the man. He got consumed by the stuff and he didn't know what to do. Then his life has ended and the stuff that he accumulated is going to go nowhere to him. Might go to his kids. We don't know. It doesn't say if he has a family or not. But ultimately, his life is over. And, and the moral of the story, as Jesus points out, is, man, it's, it's better to have a rich relationship with God than it is with stuff. And Jesus would go on to point this out. Later in the very same chapter, just a few verses later in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says that very familiar phrase to us, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus knew this. He knew the reality of it. He knew the impact of it. And it's true, right? Wherever my treasure goes, my time, my talent, my, my dollars, wherever that goes with my kids, with my family, with my God, with my community, wherever my treasure goes, my heart follows. It is the human condition. And the good news about all of that is we have a God who helps claim us and point us to where our treasure ought to go in a relationship with God. That's our ultimate goal. It's why I love the founder of the, of the United Methodist tradition, John Wesley, founded a, a, all of the Wesleyan tradition, of which there are many. John Wesley was an Anglican priest, never left the Church of England, uh, lived during the, eight, the early 18th century, and preached phenomenal messages and, and uh, literally transformed not only the, the United Kingdom, but all of America as well started what would become the largest Christian denomination outside of the Catholic Church at one point. John Wesley was an amazing leader. And he also happened to speak frequently on wealth and money and possessions and the spiritual nature of it. And he had two basic philosophies with regard to wealth. One is, all of our wealth is from God. There's nothing that we own, nothing we possess, nothing that is ours. It's all God's. And we are merely the managers or the stewards of it. He would preach that infinitely across uh, the globe when he would preach. The second was something that he said in a sermon in 1744 called the use of money. And in that sermon, he, he gives us a powerful phrase that highlights the message of the Scriptures in Luke chapter 12. The catchy little phrase was this simple. Wesley would say, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Notice, he's not against earning money. The man earned quite a bit of money in his days. He's not against it. Gain all you can. Earn all you can. Do what you can to gain income. Nothing wrong with it. But he doesn't stop there, right? He also adds, save all you can, because of course he knew life can get hard. We need an emergency fund. We need to be prepared. We need to set aside funds, right? And then finally, give all you can, because he knew that that was a spiritual issue. And that we ought to share out of our resources what God has abundantly given to us. Give all you can. Notice what's not in that equation. Spend all you can. It's not there. 
And yet all parts of that equation, gain, save, uh, uh, give, have an impact on what we spend, don't, doesn't it? We can't gain all we can, save all we can, and give all we can, and still spend all we can, right? I mean, it has impact. And so he just used this as a guide uh, to, uh, based on Scripture to recognize wealth is not an issue in terms of right or wrong. How we use the wealth is an issue of right or wrong. Money is an inanimate object, right? I mean, it just is. It's useful. It's purposeful. But the way we use it has an impact on who we are. John Wesley had a phenomenal life that he lived with regard to this very principle. He gained a lot of wealth, <laughs> Let me just give you a simple example. In early life, he didn't earn much, of course, because he was a priest, and he was a priest all his life, but he became a publisher. He would publish not only his sermons, but his thoughts, and he would publish books. And he became literally what, what would, we would call today a, a multimillionaire. But in early life, I think it was around age 28 or 29, he realized that he could live on what was then referred to as uh, 30 pounds a year. Now, granted, this is like the 1720s and 30s, right? I mean, 30 pounds a year. Today's equivalent is about $135,000. He determined he could live on roughly that in his day and time. That's a fair amount, right? That's higher than some make and lower than others make, but it's a decent amount of money, right? He determined he could live on that. He would determine the rest of his life. He would live on that amount. But did you know that over his life, he earned well over the equivalent of $20 million in today's dollars? But when he died, because he determined he could live on the 135 a year, he had 10 British pounds to his name. He had given away all those millions of dollars to individuals in need, to churches, to institutions, to starting schools and hospitals, because he believed, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. And he realized from the rich fool that he should not spend all that he can, but rather determine a way that spending will have an impact on generosity. That's where I want to spend a couple of more minutes on, is how is it we can help ourselves realize the way in which we spend has everything to do with the way in which we give. It has direct correlation. Over and over again, when I counsel with folks who have financial difficulties, it is the number one reason come uh, in for uh, counseling. It's not the presenting argument. Rarely does anybody come in and go, hey, pastor, I can't pay my bills. Usually they come in with other kinds of things, concerns over communication, conflict resolution, uh, infidelity, those kinds of things. But what often it turns to is, man, we, we have radically different ways of understanding money, how we spend and how we use. And, and what I begin to discover often, not always, but often there's a spending issue, not an income issue. Making decent amount of money, making, you know, all, all right money, but we don't know how to spend right. We don't know how to spend well. And we become consumed like the rich farmer with what it is we can gain rather than what it is we can share in the world. A couple of things I just want to offer. And we talked about the first one last week. The first way that we can discover how to uh, spend more appropriately, more wisely, and be generous with our hearts and with our lives is simply to practice gratitude. You know, last week we talked about gratitude as the foundation of generosity because we find contentment through gr gratitude, and contentment leads to generosity. But you know what else that contentment finds out of gratitude? 
Gratitude solves two crises, if you will. One is, I'm grateful for what I have. I'm delighted that God has blessed me with what I have. Gratitude. But gratitude also does this. It diminishes my desire for more because I'm grateful for what I already have. It works in two ways. And so it helps us tremendously to move towards uh, uh, generosity in how we live. That's why I shared last week uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 that just reminds us that we ought to give thanks in all of our circumstances because this is God's will for those of us who belong to Jesus. Gratitude. It changes hearts. It changes minds. And it changes behavior. I want to encourage us to become grateful every day. The second thing I would encourage us to do is to discern. When you come to that moment of desiring to spend, as I do when I get on Amazon, I've told you my problem. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, right? I get on Amazon and I want stuff. And so I need to discern. God, do I, do I really need this? Is this something that I must have or is this something I just want to have? Is this something that will help me or is this something that will cause me to become more of a consumer, right? And these are questions going on in the head, right? But all of that is a part of discernment because we need to discern, is this something that's needful? Needful is important. And we've often gotten needs confused with wants in our society because we got a lot of wants and we have a lot of capacity. And so sometimes when we have a lot of capacity, our wants begin to seem like needs. I, I need that. <laughs> I need that, right? But discernment helps guide us in this process. The Apostle Paul said a very simple thing with regard to this. I love it. In Ephesians chapter 5, he just said, try to find out what pleases the Lord. Is my purchase of this item, whatever it is, will it please God? Will it please my relationship with God? Will it help me in understanding God in my life? Discern. That can be very helpful in spending. The third is a basic premise as well, pray. Pray is that powerful gift that just opens up the heavens, right? Just opens up the dialogue between me and God. Hey, God, help me out here. Is this, is this something that's going to be worthwhile for my relationship with you? Or is this something that's going to hinder my relationship with you? When we pray, you see, it, it helps us to better understand. The other reason we pray, you know, we, we call them the breath prayers, right? Thank you, Jesus, or uh, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, or Lord, have mercy on this, your servant. Uh, uh, another one is, uh, help me, Lord, to know. Help me, Lord, to know. Jesus said it in Mark's gospel. There's this desire that when we pray, that we literally try to understand God's desire in our lives. And we need this prayer because it helps warn us from temptation. Mark chapter 14, verse 38. It warns us from the temptation that we don't need to be sucked in, right? Because the flesh is weak but the Spirit is strong. And so when we keep that dialogue open through prayer, it helps us immensely to discover God's will and to discover God's uh, desires for our lives. So we, we're grateful, we discern, we pray, and then ultimately we trust. We trust that God has a way forward. We trust that God desires for us a better way. You know, there's nothing wrong with accumulating. There's nothing wrong with having the basic necessities of life. But when we trust, we rely on God for our very soul and our sustenance. And as we trust, we begin to remember, oh yeah, God ha does have this. God can help me. 
God will guide me. God will encourage me. God will help me through these circumstances. I love the way the wisdom writer put it, Proverbs, right? There's all kinds of wisdom in Proverbs. And Proverbs chapter 3 uh, says it best in verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. When we trust God, it begins to help us realize we, we can make it through these circumstances. And while it may be tough or it might be tight financially, God's got this. I want you to go home today and read all of Proverbs chapter 3. Because right near the end, there's some powerful verses about uh, generosity. It literally just says in verses 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crop. And our crops are very different today, right? It's what we earn. It's how we achieve wealth. Honor God with the first fruits. And when we do, man, the, the barn gets full and the vats get full. And who doesn't like a full vat of wine, right? I mean, my goodness. All of that is to say, God is good. God can provide a way. And if we'll simply trust God rather than simply doling out cash here and there and, and, and just spending away without any sense of knowing how it's going to honor God. Notice, gratitude, discernment, prayer, and uh, trust are all spiritual issues. And they relate to wealth and the way we spend. Isn't it amazing that a rich relationship with God can make all the difference, even with our use of money. I love this guy because he points out to us how foolish we sometimes are and how it is we can rectify that by developing a rich relationship with God rather than possessions. So as you begin to discern what it is you might do for your generosity for 2023, as we're asking you to discern that and prayerfully consider how you will commit to ministry here at Treach, I want to invite you to consider a couple of things very quickly. One is, where are you right now in your giving? I, I don't know where that is, but you do. Here on the screen is a chart of where giving is over the last year uh, in the life of the church. You see on the left, the, the bottom figures are people who give zero in the purple, those who give up to $100, those who give up to 250 and so forth across the way. I don't know where you are, but you know where you are. Determine where you are on that chart and begin to ask God, what do you want to do through me? How can I be more generous? And how does my spending need to impact my generosity? Friends, I don't know about you, but that, that chart is a, an amazing chart, isn't it? It's very revealing about where we are and who we are. And I just want to encourage you to discover where you are so that you can know, what do I need to do, God? Second thing I want us to discover is, um, or consider rather, is how can I give proportionately? You know, God tells us that we ought to give in proportion to how we're blessed. When you read Deuteronomy chapter 16, it literally just says, you ought to give uh, in proportion to the way in which God has blessed you. And man, there's all kinds of permission in that. The first permission is, if you've never been blessed by God, you don't need to do anything. But the other is true as well. If you, if you have been blessed by God, then let's give in proportion to how I believe God has blessed me. That's very biblical. That's where the tithe comes from. That's how it's honored, is that we give in proportion to how God has blessed us. And then finally, this week, I want you to prayerfully discern what your, you believe your commitment is to the ministry of Treach and to God and God's kingdom in the year to come. 
And I invite you to go to tmumc.org pledge, where there you will find the prayer guide to walk you through a prayerful decision. You'll also see that chart and a couple of other charts that just kind of guide you. And then there's a way for you to make your commitment online. But friends, all of this is about how we address the question, what if? What if God were calling us to something greater? What if God were calling us to, to build God's kingdom right here on earth? What if God were helping us to see that generosity is all about transformation of my heart as well as my behaviors? What if a rich relationship with God is my ultimate desire? I pray that it is, and I pray that I and we together will reach that collectively so that we can honor God, celebrate God, and give thanks to God. May it be so this day and the next. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you that you call us into a rich relationship with you and your son Jesus. Thank you that you desire the very best from us and that you deserve the best from us. Help us, Lord, to live faithfully, to spend wisely, to be grateful, to discern your will, to trust who you are, and to ultimately, God, be generous toward you and for you. God, this is our desire. Give us courage to step into that trust. In the name of Jesus, we now pray. Amen.